Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. One thing that the Feast of Tabernacles allows us to do is to connect the dots from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Because the Feast of Tabernacles talks about a time when the Messiah will come and tabernacle or live with his people, which is something that was done once, but will be done again in the future and for eternity. So we're able through the Feast of Tabernacles to look at the Old Testament and find passages there uh, that resonate for his first coming uh, to be our tabernacle or to tabernacle with us. And then we can also look into the New Testament and see passages that tell us about things that will be happening in the future when he come, comes to earth to tabernacle with us for forever. And so in this episode of Horse God, Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study, we're going to take a look back again at Psalm 118, the Messianic Psalm um, that talks about the Messiah coming. And then we're also going to look at a passage in Revelation chapter 7 that is kind of the fulfillment of Psalm 118, but also looks forward to a future time when Jesus will return to tabernacle with us in his kingdom. So that's what this episode is all about. So, um, we're going to kind of start in the middle today because we've been making some progress, I hope at least, the last, how many like weeks have been in Tabernacles now? Three? Maybe this is the fourth? So, uh, where we kind of ended up last week was, uh, what was tab- what was the Feast of Tabernacles like? How did they celebrate it in Jesus' day? And um, we mentioned, of course, that the pilgrimage to Jerusalem was a big part of it, that you were expected to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, one of the big three, um, in addition to Passover slash Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. Those are the three where you were supposed to go to Jerusalem to uh, observe them and to celebrate them. And then the other thing was the building of your booth, the building of your tent or temporary tabernacle, that you also had to do that once you got to Jerusalem. You had to find a place to build this. And it was to be built uh, with a temporary, as a temporary structure uh, using um, 
uh, willow branches. Uh, these are found in Leviticus 23. Willow branches, palm branches, uh, and you are supposed to celebrate it with uh, leafy boughs of trees. These are all the, the raw materials used uh, to build these structures, and part of it was also uh, to have fruits, uh, mentioned specifically to to, to that the fruits were to be a part of it, and so uh, during that time, uh, as part of the celebration, uh, fruits were all different kinds of fruits were a part of it, um, and so then there, there were certain uh, scriptures that were supposed to be read, certain songs that were supposed to be sung, certain prayers that were supposed to be made, and and all of this was part of uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, and I think what's interesting to me is to think, and I especially think about the, maybe well, the Feast of Tabernacles, because uh, we're going to look, I don't know if we get to it today or maybe next week, but whenever we do, that Tabernacles is one is the one, uh, the one feast, the one religious observance where we, we have Jesus in Scripture actually attending it and uh, participating in it. And uh, although he did all of them, of course, because he was obedient uh, in everything, but uh, you know, none of the none of the gospel writers ever, except for this one chapter, John seven, really talk a, a lot about. Of course, you have the Last Supper, which would be a Passover meal. But generally speaking, there isn't a lot of detail of Jesus attending these festivals and what he did and where he went, and how he felt about them. Uh, but I think, especially in Tabernacles, when I, when I think about how this was focused, so much of Tabernacle was focused on messianic things. Uh, and we have Psalm 118, which we've talked about. We're going to look at it a little bit again today, because the psalm is so important uh, to our understanding of the Messiah. But uh, that he was there when they were using his name. We talked about, when they talked about salvation, the, the, the word is Yeshua. And that's him. And they're talking about, they talk about, you know, uh, the live the living water and so forth, and, and that's him when they have the water celebration. You know, that's representative of him and the Holy Spirit, and and he's there present, and they're lifting up their expectation of the Messiah to come, and he's, I mean, like, hey, hey, it's me, it's me, you know, and how that must have impacted him. I think it's just fabulous to think about. So, so here he is. Uh, Jesus would be in Jerusalem. He would have made that pilgrimage from wherever he was. Uh, he would have made, and, and think about that too, him making this booth. Something I really never thought about that much. He had to make a booth to live in during that week. And he and his disciples, I assume they shared a booth together. What must that have looked like? What must that have been like? You know. Now, uh, Jerusalem, uh, the, 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 the fathers, the, the city fathers of Jerusalem, they would make uh, also a big structure that was more of a community. You weren't able to make your own for whatever reason. You didn't have the money to buy the materials or whatever. You could go to this communal kind of temporary uh, tabernacle that they would uh, build. And, and here today, uh, when synagogues go into the Feast of Tabernacles, they build usually on the back of their synagogue building a temporary uh, tent or booth that's to be used for the, the you know for some of the uh, celebration that they observe. Not all of it, a lot of it's still in the synagogue itself, but they do use that temporary structure for the communal celebration of tabernacles to some extent. So, so that's where we are. We also talked last week, we started talking about 
one of the major um, elements of the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is this water ceremony. It's called the water libation ceremony. And we talked about how on the morning, in the morning of the seven days of the feast, that the, um, the high priest would take a gold pitcher and he would process to the pool of Siloam with, a, with that gold pitcher. And we saw last week on that video, if you were here, that uh, we, saw the, we saw the pool of Siloam. We saw the uh, Gihon Spring, which is where the source of the water comes from. And we saw that tunnel, Hezekiah's tunnel, where they dug it underground from both sides. And then we actually heard that water. And that was so thrilling for me. I mean, it's thrilling to see the place where Jesus was. It's thrilling to, uh, to have the understanding that he was here and he healed the blind man in a place that was near the pool of Siloam. And, and he was here and he was physically here. And we can go to that same place where he was. But there was something about hearing that water last week on that video, that rushing living water. That's what, that's the, that's what living water means. There's standing water that you have in a well or you have in a cistern. That was not considered by the Jewish people living water because it's not moving. To qualify as living water, it had to be moving water that was flowing and had a current, or at least like that with a spring is flowing out and flowing somewhere and going somewhere. That's living water. And to hear that last week, that sound of that rushing water from the spring going into the tunnel and into the pool was thrilling to me. I just got goosebumps. I think this is the same sound that Jesus heard when he was there, that and the disciples, that they were at this place, but, but and these were the sights, but but the sound just, to me, just was like, oh my gosh, it's so overwhelming. This, the sound of this rushing living water is the same sound that they heard when uh, Jesus was there. So so the, uh, the, the high priest goes and he gets this water from the pool of Siloam. He processes back to the temple. He goes through the water gate uh, called so because this is where he brought the water on the Feast of Tabernacles. And at the same time, uh, another priest has gone to a different location and has processed with people to a place where they can cut down willow branches and palm branches. These are the two main um, branches that were used in the celebration. And they would cut these down and they would bring them back to the temple too. And when they got back to the temple with these palm branches and willow branches, uh, they would keep some of them for themselves to wave during the ceremony. But they'd also put some of them up around the altar in the temple. And these were big palm branches, they were tall, and so they would put them on the three sides of the altar, uh, where you, not where you walked up, but the other three sides, and they would go up over the altar and kind of bend over, and they would actually make a tabernacle over the altar in the temple. So it was a visual, uh, back, you know, a visual um, reinforcement of what they were celebrating right there in in the temple over the altar. That that was a, um, a, a tabernacle, a uh, a tent, as it were, just as they were making for their own personal use. So then, um, as the high priest would come in through the uh, the temple, 
there would be this blast of the uh, silver trumpets that would trumpet his arrival with the water. And uh, he, there would be three blasts uh, of that trumpet to trumpet that he was coming. And as he would come in, then the priests who were there, the Levites who were there, they would recite Isaiah uh, 12.3. We looked at that last week too. Isaiah 12.3, which says, Therefore, with joy... Remember, God tells them in Leviticus 23, this is to be a joyous celebration. And so it says, they would say, therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy, you will, you will draw water from the wells of Yeshua. And so they're doing this, and Jesus is there hearing this. With joy, you shall, you shall draw water of salvation, of Yeshua. And then uh, the high priest would go and there would be two silver basins at the top of the of the altar and uh, one of them, another priest, would put in the drink offering, the wine offering that's coming in from the people of that day. And then the other one, the high priest would pour that water. He'd make a big, you know, uh, big demonstration of this because this is like the culmination of this whole water ceremony. And he'd pour that in. And um, at, as he was doing this, there would be three more blasts on those silver trumpets to herald, you know, this is like, this is what it's all about. This is the culmination of this uh, big celebration that we're having. And then as this was happening, uh, there would be a choir that would sing the Hallel. And the Hallel was Psalms 113 through 118. And we've talked about now the last couple of weeks, Psalm 118 and how important that was because it's a messianic psalm that talks about the Messiah and his coming. And so what would happen is, as they would get to this Hosanna verse, which is 118.25, so let's just look at it again today. Uh, Psalm 118.25. Uh, which is, Hoshiana, please, Adonai, save now. We beseech you, Adonai, prosper us. So this is the great Hosanna verse. And so they, when they got to this verse, the people would start waving their palm branches or willow branches, and the priests would start waving their palm branches and willow branches. And as they would do this, when they got to this 25th verse, Hoshiana, please, Adonai, save now. We beseech you, Adonai, prosper us. They, uh, the priests would start walking around the altar. They would make one circle around the altar as they were singing this and waving these palm branches. And so this was like, you know, just a huge celebration of their belief that the Messiah would come and would uh, save his people. So I want to take just a sec to look into this just a little bit um, uh, more. In, in Psalm 118, I want to start, if you want to read with me, I'm going to start in verse 19, and we're going to look at this again from the Old Testament. We're going to look at something in the New Testament that's kind of cool, kind of something I kind of think is cool. So Psalm 118, verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and praise Adonai. Now I want to go into his temple. This is the gate of Adonai. The righteous will enter through it. I give you thanks because you have answered me and have become my Yeshua. You have become my Yeshua. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone. It is from Adonai. It is marvelous in our eyes. 
This is the day that Adonai has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So in those verses, 19 to 25, look at that. We're going to praise. We're going to give thanks. It's marvelous. We're going to rejoice. This is all exciting stuff. This is all things stuff to be happy about and excited about, rejoicing, joy. Verse 25, Hoshiana, please aid now. Or this idea of save there is to deliver. Deliver us now. We beseech you, Adonai, prosper us. Then Baruch Haba Bashem Adonai. We heard that song a couple of weeks ago sung. Baruch Haba Bashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of Adonai. Adonai is God, and he has given us light. What? He's given us light. Well, part of the celebration of Tavern, we'll talk about in a minute, was also a light ceremony, a lighting ceremony. And it was because of this verse right here. Adonai is God. He has given us light. Uh, join the festival with branches. What is your... Do you have uh, verse 27? Someone have some... Cords. Find your sacrifice with cords. Sacrifice. I'm sorry. Join the festival... Adonai's God has given us, so Adonai is God, he has given us light. What do you have? I have, he has made his light to shine upon us. Find the festival sacrifice with cords up to the house of this altar. Okay, anybody else have something? With bind. bows in hand. Oh, bows in hand, okay. Mine says bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Okay, so binding the branches with cords is the making of where they put their willow branches and palm branches around the altar. They had to bind them. They had to connect them. Otherwise, they would fall over. So, so Adonai is God. He has given us light. Join the festival. Remember we said the Feast of Tabernacles has three names. Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, which means tabernacles, and the festival. The festival. So it says join the festival. Now, some of you may have joined the festive procession does anyone have something like that festal procession procession. the word procession is not in the original language that's just a translation that they put in there but it's not the procession is not in the original hebrew it says join the festival with branches up to the horns of the altar so this is tabernacles are talking about here Join the festival. It means join the Feast of Tabernacles with branches up to the horns of the altar, exactly how they did it. Verse 28, you are my God and I will praise you. You are my God, I exalt you. Praise that and I, for he is good, his loving kindness endures forever. So again, a Thanksgiving kind of activity there. Now, this is Old Testament. This is Psalms. This is looking forward to the Messiah, Messianic Psalm. Okay. So let's turn now to Revelation, chapter 7, this being New Testament, obviously, this being uh, something that's going to happen. So 118 was looking forward to something that would happen to the Old Testament uh, people, the people of Jesus' day. Now, Revelation chapter 7 is something we as Christians are looking forward to happening in in the future as well. So I'm going to start start with verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw, this is John, right? John the Apostle writing Revelation. God, God is showing him this vision of end times. 
After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or against any tree. Now, can you imagine a world without a breeze, without a wind? This is during the Great Tribulation, okay? So this is one of the things I just I hate. I'd hate that because I always hate a stuffy room anyway. Like, turn the fan on. <laughs> Uh, Jan's in the car. She's always, sometimes I turn everything off, like, you know, because I'm cold or hot or whatever. And she goes, we have to have something on. We have to have some air moving in that. <laughs> uh, verse 2, then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He cried out with a loud voice to the four angels who were permitted to, do, who were permitted to harm the earth and sea, saying, do no harm to the earth or the sea or the trees until we have put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Now, the, I heard the number of those marked with the seal, 104,000 from every tribe of B'nai Israel. So here we have 12,000 from uh, 12 different tribes, 144,000. So what people believe that this means is that during the Great Tribulation, uh, there will be a conversion of 144,000 Jewish people who, after the rapture and because of the rapture, will become believers. And they will be a special group, this 144,000, and God will put a, some kind of special protection around them. It talks about, you know, this mark. You know, Satan has his mark in the Great Tribulation of 666. And so God has his mark for these special, and these 144,000 Jewish now believers get marked in a special way with God's mark. And they are somehow supernaturally protected by him from the Antichrist. And they will live, he will make it possible for them to live through all the tribulation. But what they, what they are doing is they are becoming uh, evangelists. They are converting other people to believe in Christ. Okay, so verse 9. After these things, I looked and behold, a vast multitude that no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. <laughs> Feast of Tabernacles. In this is this is a scene in, uh, that's happening in heaven, and this is a scene that's happening in heaven. Uh, at this point, Jesus has not returned yet. So these people that you see here. The multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. This is happening in heaven. Okay, this these are people who are no longer living on earth. Okay, and they will be clothed in white robes. And in heaven, before the Lamb of the throne, the, the throne of the Lamb, they will have palm branches in their hands. Isn't that cool? So this is kind of the fulfillment of what we just read in 118. And crying out with a loud voice, saying, salvation, and these are these people who are in with the robes, who are standing before the throne. They, they are saying, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And that word salvation, what did Psalm 118 ask for in verse 25? It asked, save us, right? Save us now. Hoshiana, save us now. And that word save means to deliver us. And this word here, salvation, it means the same thing, deliver us. It, it means to, the idea is to deliver us from danger. So 118 says, 
Hoshiana, Lord, please deliver us from danger, as it were. And here we see they are in heaven before the throne of God saying, salvation belongs. These are people who died during the We'll get here in a minute, but I'll give you. I'll get ahead of. I'll give you a little, a little spoiler. A little spoiler. These are people who died during the Great Tribulation, and they they died in a terrible death. And you hear they are in heaven saying, "Salvation, deliverance belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb." So they see this as a deliverance uh, of what they were suffering from before. Yes. It, it, like you just said, these are those that have come out of the Great Tribulation. So people were saved from these 144,000 around the world preaching. Correct. So there were people saved, Gentiles and Jews. But Correct. Primarily Jews, that they were, because they were preaching the kingdom again, right? I think they were preaching to everybody. I think Jew and Gentile. I think you're right. Yeah, uh, yeah. They were preaching about the kingdom. Correct. About Jesus as Savior, yeah. Because there wasn't the gospel of grace had been for the Gentiles who were raptured. Right. You know, grace was still there, but this was, you know, because it said they went around preaching the kingdom. These are people who were unsaved at the rapture. Right. Who came to believe in Christ through the testimony of the 144,000. Mm -hmm. And now they're believers. But when they become believers during the Great Tribulation, they become an enemy of Antichrist. And so what Antichrist has done is he's killed them. He's executed them. He's murdered them. So they wouldn't take the sign. Right? They wouldn't take the sign. They wouldn't worship him. He required. He's going to require worship of him as God. And every and you fall into, into lockstep with him and believe that he's God or you die. And, uh, you know, we know you can do max, max executions now, you know, uh, in, in, in the world today. So, so think about that for a minute. It says... A vast multitude no one could count. That many people are going to die during the Great Tribulation who are believers. Isn't that incredible to think about? But after they die, after they suffer through the Great Tribulation, they're in heaven with their white robes and their palm branches, and they're saying, salvation belongs to our God, deliverance. So 118, we said, please deliver us. And in Revelation 7, we have been delivered. This is the fulfillment of it. So it says, and all, so verse 11, and all the angels were standing around the throne along with the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, this is to John, uh, who are these dressed in white robes and where have they come from? And he said, sir, you know, see, this is, a, this is an answer that I wish I could have used when I was in school. You know, the teacher calls in you and says, Greg, what's the answer to that math question? I'd say, you know. You know. And so John, John doesn't know, but he goes, well, you know. <laughs> so verse 14, then he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. So all of these, this massive number of people, they have all died in the great tribulation as believers. They weren't believers during the rapture. They became believers thanks to the uh, evangelization of the 144,000, and they were killed by Antichrist. That many. Oh, my gosh, this is incredible. Uh, but they have washed their robes 
and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Jan are on our way in today. Listen to a Christian station that plays music, and they were singing, Washed in the Blood of the Lamb. Made me think about this verse. How are you washed? How are you washed? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? No, I won't be in the choir. I know you want me to be in the choir. <laughs> so they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. You know, there's a temple in heaven. There's a temple in heaven. And that temple is going to come down to earth someday. So they serve him day and night in his temple in heaven. The one seated on the throne, right, will shelter them. They shall never go hungry, which means they did go hungry. Nor thirst anymore, which means they did thirst. The sun should not be down on them, which means it did, nor any scolding heat, which it did. So they suffered as believers during the Great Tribulation. They suffered terribly. But he says, they don't have to worry about that anymore because I'm going to shelter them. He says, the one seat on the throne will shelter them. Verse 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne shall shepherd them and guide them to what? Springs of living water. Here we have again the fulfillment of Feast of Tabernacles and the water ceremony. That here we have it in heaven that it says that Jesus will shepherd them and guide them to springs of living water. You know what I, I, I keep getting reminded with through all of this mm-hmm. is the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. Jesus repeated much of it to the woman at the well, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. So here we have again the idea of water, uh, which is being celebrated in the Feast of Tabernacles. And here we are with the fulfillment of that, that Jesus is going to guide these, uh, these people who suffered uh, from the Great Tribulation. He's going to give them springs of living, which I think not only means, I think, you know, that is spiritually as much as anything, right? The, the springs of living water is, is, God, is Christ himself. Now, let's go back just for a minute to verse uh, 15, where it says, the one seated on the throne will shelter them. Do you have a different translation there on verse 15 than shelter them? Spread his tent over them. Exactly. Spread his tent over them. What is a tent? It's a tabernacle. Mine actually says tabernacle. He will what? Spread his tabernacle. Spread his tabernacle. Is this Psalm 118? No, this is now uh, Revelation 7, verse 15. It says, the one seated on the throne will shelter them. He will spread his tent around them. He will put his tabernacle around them. This is the fulfillment of what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about. We see it in Revelation the palm branches, the living water, and the tent, the tabernacle that he will put around his people. Is that too cool? I think it's too cool. The tabernacle, though, is all of the New Jerusalem. The whole thing is the tabernacle, Yes, I think uh, uh, this is a um, special group of people that are serving him in the temple. And we're not going to be part of that group because we're going to go up with the rapture. So we won't be part of this group. This, these, this will be in the New Jerusalem. But this, this, yeah, they will too. But, but they're going to have a special 
tent, a special tabernacle, something special because they came through the the great tribulation. We we will be part of the New Jerusalem. But, yeah. He's, he's the king, he's the head, and we're the body. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to be co-heirs with Christ. Oh. We're going to be there, but this this particular tabernacle... See, when... And we're going to talk about this a little bit, uh, maybe maybe next week. But um, part of the tabernacling is is that Jesus tabernacles with us. We, we live with him. And that is in Revelation 21 when the great the new Jerusalem comes down. That's where we're going to live. So we're going to be there. They'll be there too. We'll all be together, but he has a special, something special for these people to do. Dimensions, I guess. I don't know because I always understood that, that there would be no darkness because right. it would all be light because God was present with us at all times, which means exactly. the whole thing was a tabernacle. Well, there's a physical tabernacle like a tent, but then there's also the tabernacling idea of living to, living with him. Okay. So it depends oh, on, okay. you know, we will tabernacle with him in that we will live with him. He will live with us. But this tent says specifically for these people, the one seat on the throne will spread his tent for them. So this is something extra. I don't know what, but whatever it is, good for the good on them. <laughs> so. Okay, so any thoughts now? That's the water ceremony. Any any thoughts? Anything else that you guys wonder about? Or that's that's one part of the celebration of tabernacles. Okay, um, another part. I guess we have time for this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, the other part was the a temple lighting ceremony and. The temple lighting ceremony happened starting on the second evening of Tabernacles and went through the, the eighth. Remember, this is a seven-day celebration, but then there's an eighth day with a, another convocation. And so it would be from the second day to the eighth day. In the evening, they would have this lighting ceremony. And um, people would crowd into the court of women uh, in the temple, but they would, uh, they would put up this barrier in the court of women which would separate the men from the women because, you know, men and women couldn't worship together, right? So, but it was in the court of women because this was the bigger area. They put up a barrier, men on one side, women on the other side. And the center of the court, there would stand these four huge menorahs. They were huge. You'd have to get, they had to get up on a ladder to light them. And the, uh, the wicks of these menorahs were made from the worn out linen garments of the priests. So when the priests would go through these ceremonies, they would mostly wear these linen garments one time, usually. But whenever they were done with them, they would take these uh, linen garments and they would make wicks out of them for these four huge menorahs that were part of the lighting ceremony for tabernacles. And so they would get up there, the priests would get up there, and they would light these menorahs. And then there was like this light dance that they would do. This was really high entertainment of the day. So um, I wanted to read for you out of the book here, rather than just me pontificating, pontificating, and let you know what he, what he says in the book. This is about the lighting ceremony that was part of Feast of Tabernacles in the East. So yeah, the the water libation was in the morning, and the light ceremony. A light ceremony can't be that impressive unless it's at night, right? That's when it looks the, the coolest. So it says, soon after the celebration was underway, a group of Levites gathered in the inner court in what was known as the Court of the Israelites. 
Once formed, the group of Levites moved through the Nicanor Gate to stand at the top of the 15 steps leading down to the court of the women. The sound of the temple flutes, trumpets, harps, and other stringed instruments swelled as the Levites sang the 15 Psalms of Degrees, or the Psalms of Ascents, which is Psalms 120 through 134. So in the in the water ceremony, you had Psalms 113 to 118, and the lighting ceremony, you had Psalms 120 to 134. With each new psalm, they descended to the next step. This celebration was repeated every night from the second night until the final night as a prelude to the water drawing in the morning. Nothing in ancient Israel compared to this light celebration. It was so spectacular that the ancient rabbi said, he hath not beheld the joy of drawing of the water. He, he that hath not beheld the joy of the drawing of the water hath never seen joy in his life. So the lighting ceremony was kind of like a prelude to the water ceremony. All They're all tied in together. But this lighting ceremony was so impressive. Uh, it was just just really a, like we like fireworks today. This was their fireworks. So the light celebration was reminiscent of the descent of the Shekinah glory in Solomon's day and looked forward to the return of the Shekinah in the days of the Messiah. John recorded that it was the day after the Feast of Tabernacles, the eighth day, which was considered a Sabbath, when Jesus returned from the Mount of Olives to teach in the temple. As the Pharisees came to entrap him, Jesus proclaimed, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. More than just a messianic claim, Jesus claimed to be the light of the world carried a reference to the temple light celebration. The celebration was still vivid in their minds. They had just celebrated six nights in a row. The light he offered would light not just the temple, it would light the whole world. He himself was the source. So they have this light celebration uh, that's impressive. It's incredible. It's this great light show. And we'll read about it next week when we look at Jesus in, in all of this, that it was right after all of this that Jesus said, made the claim, I am the light of the world. So you just had this six seven day, you know, six days of this light celebration, just impressive. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm the light of the world. That's talking about me. So that's all cool too. So any any comments about light ceremony? And also we, we have in Psalm 118, we just read that part of this is that he has given light. And so we have this light celebration and Jesus saying, I am the light. And it all ties in together, uh, the light and the water. So any... Any comments? Any questions? Any impressions? What's that? Yes, we're going. Next week, what we're going to do is we're going to finish off. There's one more thing that they did called the Great Hosanna, which basically was just happening on the seventh day, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is cool because then we're going to look in. So your homework for this for next week is read John chapter seven and John chapter eight because we're going to talk about the Great Hosanna, which is the seventh day of the feast. And then we're going to look at what Jesus did during Tabernacles by looking at John 7 and John 8. So we're going to tie that all together. So. Something about light. Yeah. Uh, being an engineer, you know, having studied something about light, it's a real mystery to, to scientists and engineers because they cannot quite define it. It's, it's a pulse, it's a wave, it's all these different things. So they have different formulas for each of those different, just because they don't under, really understand it. But Einstein's theory really proved when Jesus said he was the light, because Einstein's theory says if you go at the speed of light, time ceases to exist. I mean, our minds can't even start to concept what that means. Mm -hmm. But 
we proved it because even with a slow spaceship doing 25,000 miles an hour, they had exact timers on there and saw that time changed. Wow, isn't that something? I mean, there's so much in the Bible like that that um, incomprehensible, but yet it just all points back to this fantastic, wonderful, awesome, and that, by the way, that's the only way I think the word awesome should be used is in the word of God. Amen. I don't know, I've had an awesome, I've had pretty almost awesome hot dog. Well, you know, when he said he was the light of the world, I mean, that has significance we can't even start to understand. And what's so cool about that, extend that out, for example, what is always impressive to me is light can extinguish darkness. You have a dark room, you turn on a light, it's not dark anymore. But darkness cannot extinguish light. If you turn on a light in a room or have a candle in a room, the darkness cannot overcome that light. The light is stronger than the darkness. Darkness cannot extinguish the light. And just like when you have Christ and you have Jesus, the darkness of Satan, the darkness of the world, the darkness of humanity cannot extinguish the light that Jesus is because darkness cannot extinguish light even then or physically, physics from a physics standpoint. I was a terrible physics student, by the way. But anyway, so I wanted to end today. We have, uh, I'm not going to do an essay today for our Lenten. uh, This is what, the third, fourth Lenten week of Lenten? Whatever it is, it's Lent. And uh, I thought you'd get a break from my essays. uh, And we have a song, which I thought when I heard it, this is perfect for Lent. So we're going to play this, and I hope you like it. It's not just about the manger
Isn't that something? The Ball Brothers. I never heard of them before, but they just blew me away. <laughs> you know that one? A friend on Facebook posted it, and when I when I saw it and listened to it, I'm like, I've got to share this with the class. It's just incredible. For these guys, yeah, BallBrothers.com. But I'd never heard of the Ball Brothers before, so. Oh man, I, I have uh, goosebumps. So that's a good way to end the class. And that concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom.